Good morning, everyone. Well, I'm inspired by my nailing that math question, so let's just forget about the sermon and talk about math. No. No, math isn't really my favorite subject, even though people think it is. I say to do accounting, all you really need to know is adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. You don't need to know all that real math stuff that engineers and rocket scientists know. Uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, today we're going to talk about the rich young ruler. Um, that passage is found in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I'll refer to those other passages, but we're going to go from Matthew chapter 19, verse uh, 16, to the end of the chapter. Um, now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? Um, Jesus said, You shall not murder, not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the, man heard, when the young man heard this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is, a, it is hard for a rich man to enter uh, the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left brothers or houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands, for my name's sake, shall have received a hundredfold and inherit, inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to just commit this time to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, speak uh, through your word and through, through what I have to say, Lord, and it may bless our hearts and encourage us and challenge us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. So, again, this is passage that we refer to as the rich young ruler, and as, you were, as we were reading that, you might have noticed that uh, yes, the, the ruler, was, this person was young, this person was, was wealthy, but where does it say the person was a ruler? So for that, you'd have to turn to the passage in Luke that speaks about uh, the rich young ruler. So that's why we call it the rich, rich young ruler, because if you read all three passages, you get all that information. So anyway, the ruler approaches Jesus and asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But uh, before Jesus answers the question, he, start, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now that seems like a strange answer to us, right? Why would Jesus say that? Is Jesus saying that he is not good? Is Jesus saying that he is not God? Well, the answer to that, those two questions are both no. 
I think Jesus is only asking the man why he is calling him good, because he wants to get into his thinking a little bit and find out what the man's thinking about what good means. So, so he's directing the man to really think, what does is, what is the word good mean? When you say someone's good, what are you saying? Um, because really only God is good, right? That's what Jesus is saying. And it's not a word that should be used carelessly to describe the character of a person as we often do today. Um, so Jesus is going to have a, a conversation, an interaction with the man about good works and salvation versus faith. And Jesus wants to understand the man to understand what good works really mean. So you, have, you may have heard someone say, and I'm sure you have, uh, people say this oftentimes when you're witnessing to somebody, talking to somebody about the, the Lord and trying to share the gospel with them, they'll say, well, if you say to them, well, why do you think you might go to heaven when you die? Why, why would you, God let you into heaven? And they'll say something like, kind of like what the rich young ruler is thinking. They'll say something like, well, I'm a good person, and uh, you know, I take care of my parents, I don't steal, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, and all those things. So you know, I think my good works will outweigh my bad ones, and, and I, think I'll go to, I think I probably would go to heaven based on that. And well, you can let that person know that from the scriptures, uh, Jesus says that only God is good. Uh, by God's standards, uh, there is no person that is good, only, only God. When God looks down on the world, he doesn't see, like, like, some, like some people think, good people and, and bad people. People that deserve to go to heaven, people don't, that don't deserve to go to heaven. He sees everyone as sinners. And then, of course, now some of those sinners have received uh, the Lord Jesus as their Savior. So he sees some as, as his children who are saved because they put their faith in Christ. And then he sees others, the others who, as people who have not put their faith in Christ and are sinners and are children of the devil. So that's the way God looks at things. And it's interesting because we people, and you, you see this, and this is what this passage is all about, and a lot of the, the, the New Testament is about people just seeing things from their own perspective, from, from the devil's perspective or from the world's perspective. People don't see things from God's perspective. And when they um, are confronted with God's perspective, it oftentimes upsets them or turns them off. I was re reminded of that this morning and during the Lord's Supper when uh, Mark White referred to the passage about uh, where some of the people said, oh, don't listen to Jesus. You know, they were talking about Jesus. Don't listen to him. He has a demon. Right? So that's what people thought about him because some of the things he said, even though we're so used to it, right? because we've, we've been ingrained in this for some of us for our whole lives or for many years, that it's normal for us. It's, it's, it's the God's way of thinking. We understand it. But for people who didn't understand Jesus' perspective and had the Old Testament perspective, the law of Moses and the history, to them this was radical thinking. This was crazy stuff. And, and we're going to see some of that today. Um, so anyway, as we look at the passage, Jesus makes another curious comment curious to us, right? He says, uh, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, that would have probably been what he wanted to hear, the rich young ruler, but that kind of doesn't make sense to us, right? Because we know that the Bible teaches us that we're saved by faith apart from the works of the law. So why would Jesus say this to, to the man? Well, well, we'll look at that question more today, but first I want to talk in about, a little bit about who this person is. Um, who is this person that we know as the, that we call the rich young ruler, right? First of all, what was your ruler of? Interesting question, right? We sometimes don't think of that. Um, 
Well, let's think about first what his nationality was. It really doesn't say he's a Jew, but I think most of us think he was a Jew from the context, because if you look in the New Testament, um, when someone's a Roman, the Bible says, well, this is a Roman centurion, this is a Roman soldier, and this happened. Or if someone's a Samaritan, the Bible says it was, it's a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman, or a good Samaritan, and things like that. So the Bible will generally say, some, if someone's not a Jew, it will indicate that the person's not a Jew. So there's no indication that the person was not a Jew. So I think we would take him um, to be a Jewish person. So, and he also reacted quite readily, right, to the discussion that Jesus had about the law. Jesus lists off several of the law's requirements. He says, oh, I've kept these from my youth. So, you know, somebody like that would, we would think would be a Jew who would be following uh, Moses, the laws of Moses. So if he was a Jew, which we think he was, what would he actually be a ruler of? Did you ever think about that? Here's this ruler, as it says in Luke, and what was he ruling? Because the Romans were in charge, right? Was a, they were in the Roman Empire. They were part of the Roman Empire. So Rome had authority there. They were ruling over that land. Then they allowed uh, King Herod, who was Jewish, to you know, have some type of authority. Um, so you had King Herod who was under the subjection to Rome, but still had some authority, but yet he wasn't, he wasn't sharing that with others. He wasn't saying, well, you could be kind of a junior king and you could be a you know, supervisor king over here. No, he was the king and that was it. So what was this person actually a ruler of? Well, if you read the New Testament in the, in the book, book of Acts and the Gospels, you'll see that there's a few times where the Bible talks about someone who was a ruler of a synagogue, right? You might recall that. Uh, uh, in the Gospels and the book of Acts, someone who was a ruler of the synagogue. So that's what, I'm gonna, that's what I think. This man was likely a ruler of one of the local synagogues in the land of Israel. And he was also wealthy. And we saw that a couple times here in this, as I read the passage. And it would not be unusual. One thing, as I've uh, been gotten into this message and done, done my research, it would not be unusual for a Jewish religious leader to be wealthy. And that's something I really didn't realize. Or now, now, I just had my birthday yesterday, so I'm a little older now. So now I like to say, well, I thought I knew it before, but I forgot it. Because <laughs> that's happening quite often now. But, but anyway, um, there was this thing called the temple tax. And apparently it brought great wealth to the Jewish religious leaders. And so we'll talk more about that later. But keep that in mind, that he was wealthy. And he was the rich young ruler, as we say. So anyway, going back to what Jesus said to him, uh, Jesus tells the man, as I said, to keep the commandments, or I'm sorry, to enter into eternal life, to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments. Again, you know, kind of, to us, kind of a curious statement. So what is Jesus saying? Well, Jesus knows that no one can keep the commandments, right? He knows that no one could be perfect. So I think what he's doing with this man is he's, he's leading him down a road to say, okay, if you want to be, he knows the man thinks he can earn a salvation by doing good works, so he says, okay, if you want to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments, be perfect. And so he's really, um, Jesus was giving him a, something impossible to do, knowing that it was impossible for him to do, do that, and Jesus would lead him down that road and show him. So that, I think that's all Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, obviously, that you can inherit eternal life by keeping those few commandments there. So the man, in response to what Jesus said, the, man, the ruler asked, well, which, which, um, which commandments do I need to keep in order to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists a few commandments there from the law of Moses. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. 
bear false witness. You shall, on the positive side, you shall honor your mother and father and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, quite an ex- extant, expansive list there. And the young man uh, actually claims to have uh, kept all these things, which, you know, could be debatable, but anyway, he does claim to have kept, keep, to have kept all these things, and, but he does realize maybe there's more to it. Maybe it's not so easy, so he does ask a good question, what do I still lack? And keep in mind, to his credit, this man was asking Jesus, right? He came to him, and in one passage it says that he knelt before the Lord Jesus. Um, and to his credit, he's sincerely searching. I mean, he is a sincere person, sincerely seeking answers about eternal life. And that is a good thing. And so, right, as a Christian, you, would, you love it when somebody <laughs> asks you, well, what do you think is the meaning of life? Or what do you think... Uh, uh, the way to eternal life is. And, but really, we don't get that question very often, right? And when we do get the chance to explain it, it it's wonderful to, to tell someone about the, the love of Christ and, and how Christ died for our sins and that uh, we can put our faith in him and he could forgive us our sins and give us the gift of eternal life. But unfortunately, that question doesn't come too, up too often, and it's really sad to think that... Uh, People, you know, many people in our society don't even want to think about that question, right? When you, when you think about it, it's the most important question, and you guys know that. It's the most important question that can be answered, and yet people don't even want to think about it. Kind of ironic, isn't it? But the other thing that I wanted to mention, too, is that, and it doesn't say that here in Matthew, but Luke says, or, or, or it's actually Mark, the Gospel of Mark that says that when Jesus responded to the man, it, it starts off by saying, and Jesus loved him. And uh, that was an uh, interesting uh, statement there, and you know, because the, the Bible, we know that Jesus loves everybody, right? Of course, he he died for the sins of the world, and he's a friend of sinners. And um, but not often the Bible specifically says that Jesus loves somebody, right? It's Lazarus, and, and maybe a few others. I can't think of all of them, but in this instance, it, the Bible records it how Jesus loved this man, and it just uh, it's a good reminder for us that when we're responding to somebody, when we're reaching out to people in, in, who are not saved, and we're interacting, we're giving answers, we're, you know, we have to be loving, right? We have to be loving people who speak respectfully and humbly, and that whole idea of just one, uh, one um, beggar showing another beggar where they, re, where they found food, right? We, so we have to be careful not to be arrogant about the fact that we might know more than the other person. Uh, but anyway, Jesus does get to the heart of the matter for the rich young ruler, right? He tells them that, well, if you want to be perfect, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And oh, by the way, come and follow me. There's a bunch of people here behind me. Uh, just following with them. We go around uh, Israel, and we spread the message of the kingdom. I'm sure they'll have a job for you. So um, apparently that was too much uh, for the rich young ruler, too much to ask. The Bible says he was rich, and he did not want to sell his possessions. He did not want to give them to the poor. He did not want to follow Jesus uh, throughout the country. And the Bible tells us that he went away sorrowful or sad because he had great wealth. So in the end, this man went away sad as will anyone who seeks to inherit eternal life or seeks eternal life through good works, which only comes through faith alone. See, you see, Jesus was demonstrating to the man the, the process that Jesus was going through with the man was not to say he could earn salvation by doing good works, but he was showing him that he could not live up 
to God's standard of perfection or, or holiness. Remember, he says, if you want to be perfect, well, Jesus knowing that no one is perfect except for him. So in the end, he was disqualified by earning salvation through good works. Now, you may encounter people, I have, I have actually encountered one or two people over the course of my Christian life who will actually use this passage to demonstrate their belief that salvation can be earned by good works. And of course, they'll say, well, see, Jesus said right there that if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So you know, salvation is based on good works, and people will use this passage, as I said. And, and now, obviously, there's many things you can say to the person about, about that, but one thing you can keep in mind here, one thing you might want to say is, well, you know, keep in mind that there were many encounters that Jesus had that are recorded in the Gospels, right? There's many times he encountered a, a sick person or a poor person or, or whatever, somebody who needed something from him. And uh, many times in those instances, the Bible says, that the end of the, at the end of the conversation, at the end of the interaction, Jesus said, your faith has healed you, go in peace, or your faith has saved you. Now, I would rather look at a passage like that, right, and say, you know, here's somebody who went to Jesus in faith, and Jesus said that faith saved, saved them. I would rather base my <laughs> eternal life question on, on a passage like that, rather than a passage where the person went away sad in the end because they couldn't do all Jesus required. <laughs> Why would you follow that passage, right? So again, um, anyone who tries to approach it that way in the end will go away sad, unfortunately. So it's our job to help them to understand that, and, and hopefully that could help them. Um, now in addition to the lesson on salvation, Jesus also took the opportunity here, kind of at the end, after, after the, this, after the um, rich man went away. It says he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now Jesus turns to the disciples to teach them about the detrimental effects that money could have on someone, right? He explains to them how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, right here in, in, in verse 23 and 24, and that it's easier for a camel, as I read, to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So what did Jesus mean by these statements, especially the one about the camel? That kind of doesn't make sense maybe totally, right? Well, one theory is that he is referring to something called the needle gate, and you may have heard this before, right, that the idea was that there was a small gate, that an after-hours traveler could get into this fortified city through this gate by, by, taking, you know, by getting off the camel, taking all the things off the camel, and kind of pushing or pulling or whatever they do with camels, I don't know. <laughs> Kelly, do you know which way? Okay pushing or pulling. So they would get the camel through this needle gate and they could get into the city. Obviously at, at night, you know, the gates are closed and, and, uh, to protect the city, and, but this is a way that somebody could come in and, and get under the protection of the city. Um, but as I've read about this more and more, and I, you know, you've heard that and I thought it, was, it sounded reasonable, but as I read about this in preparation for this message, apparently there's a few sources that say there's really no credible evidence that there was ever such a gate that was ever used for such a purpose, okay? So, um, so I'm thinking the most likely explanation was that Jesus was using hyperbole to make a point, right? And he does use this technique other times in the gospel, so it's not out of the question. You may recall that when Jesus was speaking about hypocrisy, teaching about hypocrisy, he told people that they should remove the log out of their own eye before they would remove the speck out of someone else's, right? So that's obviously, he didn't mean somebody has a log in their eye and somebody has a speck in their eye. He was using hyperbole. I hope I'm saying that right. 
Sometimes I have trouble when there's a P and a B in the same word. But, uh, and then Jesus also referred, referred to blind guides, again, with hypocrisy, referring to blind guides who strain a gnat and swallow a camel, right? So again, he wasn't referring to people who were physically blind, who were somehow using an instrument to strain small animals, like a, like a gnat, and then swallowing a camel. Obviously, that can't, that can't be done, right? So Jesus... Um, Use camels a lot, I guess, in his statements, the hyperbole statements, right? So anyway, um, but the interesting thing is whether you think about the gate or not doesn't really matter. But the interesting thing is how the disciples responded, right? They say in verse twenty-five that they were greatly astonished and saying, "How who can who can then be saved? Who then can be saved?" And you know that's kind of a head scratcher, right? Have you ever scratched your head over that one? Why would the disciples be so surprised that a rich person would have a hard time getting saved? Right? Because we tend to think, I mean, at least I do, that, yeah, it's probably a little harder maybe for a really rich person to be saved because, you know, they trust in their riches and they don't have any needs. And, um, you know, it's just they're just not going to think about these things as often as maybe the average person does. But not to say that a rich person can't be saved. Obviously, they can but I wouldn't be so astonished at the statement and saying, how can this be? You know, but that's the way they, they reacted. But in order to, uh-oh, there goes my computer. It's acting funny. thought this might happen. Um, we have to under, understand the perspective that they had in that day, right? Their perspective, as I said, was a lot different than ours, which ours are more guided by the, the, New, the New Testament scriptures. Theirs were not. Theirs were guided by the, the law of Moses. So, so um, just like the rich young ruler, who, again, was most likely the ruler of a synagogue, most religious leaders of that day, as I said, were rich. The high priest was rich. The Pharisees and the scribes were rich. Apparently, the synagogue leaders were rich. Um, and it was because of something called the temple tax, right? We don't really think about the temple tax too much, but it's in the, it's in the Bible. It's in, it's in the Matthew chapter 17. And you could read about it there where the tax collectors came to Peter and said, you know, does your master pay, um, pay the temple tax? He said yes, and then he went to Jesus and said, hey, do we pay the temple tax? He wasn't really sure. <laughs> That's what I got out of it anyway. But Jesus said, and there's a lot more to it, but Jesus, remember the story about the fish, the, the coin in the mouth? So Peter goes and fishes and gets the coin out of the fish's mouth, and he pays the temple tax. So, the, so we see that there is this thing called the temple tax, and every male over age of 20 was required to pay this tax, which was about a day and a half to two days' wages. So if you're a male over 20, once you hit 20, uh, you would have been required to pay two to $300, say, a year um, in, for the temple tax. But this temple tax was used for the t- expenses of the temple, but apparently it also made the religious leaders wealthy. And you know, we kind of see that whole, and think about that whole scene of Jesus going in to drive out the money changers, and you could see there was some bad things going on there, right, with the whole money, the whole money system that they had, um, among other things. So, so, the, so the disciples were astonished because um, they thought all the religious leaders who were rich would go to heaven. And think about it. The high priest is rich. The scribes, the Pharisees are rich. All these guys that we look up to, they're all rich. And, they're, and they're, it's going to be hard for them to go to heaven? How could it be hard? For, so who's going to, who can be saved? Because remember the way they looked at um, poor people, right? You know, in, in the New Testament, you see that people who are poor or 
or you know, have, some, you know, have some kind of a disability, right? Well, who, you know, did somebody sin? Right? So something must have gone wrong. God is cursing them for some reason. So that's the kind of mentality that they had in those days. Now think about it, too. Remember, they only had the Old Testament scriptures, right? which we call the Old Testament. Um, but in, in the Old Testament, being rich was a sign that you were, um, it was like a proof of God's approval, not a sign, but a proof of God's approval, right? Think about it. Abraham was rich. Isaac was rich. Jacob, you know, the patriarchs of their faith, they were all rich. J Joseph was rich. David, Solomon, Job, they were all rich. Well, Job had a story there, but in the end, it wasn't his fault, so he, God gave him all his money back, right? So... <laughs> And, and think about the whole story of Israel. They were slaves in, in, in Egypt, and, and God went to save them from there. And you know, as they went out, the Egyptians gave them all their money and all their gold and said, get out of here because you're a problem. And so they made Israel rich, and then Israel wandered in the desert. And the point was, if they obeyed God, right, if they did what God told them to do, they would inherit the promised land, they would defeat all their enemies, they would all get some land to own, and they would all have this land flown with milk and honey. And when you think about what does that mean, a land flown with milk and honey, well, to them it probably meant that there was excess there, right? It wasn't just bread and, 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 and broccoli, <laughs> you know, and corn. I mean, <laughs> they were going to have a land with milk and honey, some of the good things in life. So there would, be a plenty, there would be plenty. So you think about the whole system was set up. If you obey God, you get to be rich. You get to have everything. And... When that whole thing played out, right, at the height of that whole thing of going into the land of milk and honey and taking the land over and pushing out their enemies and setting up their own um, place for, for God's chosen people, the height of that was really what? It was really Solomon's, when Solomon became king. The, Israel had built, you know, Solomon built a beautiful temple to the Lord, this great, expansive, beautiful temple. Um, Israel was, had peace with, with its enemies. Nobody wanted to mess with Israel. They were, they were at the peak of their power. And if you remember what it says about Israel in that day, that um, silver was worthless because they had so much gold. Everybody had so much gold that they didn't even care about silver. They were just throwing it out. <laughs> silver was worthless, right? What do you do with worthless things? Hopefully you throw them out. Maybe you put them in your attic. I don't know. But, or give them away. Some, somebody might... Right? Another one man's, what do they say? I don't know, whatever. One man's garbage is another man's treasure or something like that. Anyway, give it away. Um, and also, I, I understand from my research that in, the, in, this, in this day, the day of the disciples, that the rabbis taught this to people too, that the rich are blessed by God. Remember what I said about the poor and sickly? Kind of all makes sense, right? So the disciples reasoned well with the, uh, with the wealthy among them, the uh, super spiritual high priests and Pharisees and scribes, if they were not going to go to heaven, what hope was there for anybody else? Right? How can this be? Who then can be saved? Well, Jesus says, well, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Uh, so what did he mean by that? What, did Je what Jesus was saying was that, well, God can save anyone. He was trying to debunk this whole crazy thinking that they had. Right? I mean, that's what Jesus' whole message was. He was kind of turning their world upside down I think about the Sermon on the Mount. Think about most of the things Jesus said to the religious leaders and to the people of the day. It was kind of opposite of the way they thought in, in, many, in many instances. And so Jesus was just saying, look, you think this is impossible, but it's possible. God could save anyone. God could save a poor person. God could save a, save a person who needs to be healed. 
Uh, God could save the average person. God could save the rich person because salvation is by faith, by receiving the message uh, of, of Jesus dying for uh, you know, our sins on the cross. So this really is the basis of the gospel, salvation based on, based on belief in the Messiah and not by the works of the law. Now, for, I, mentioned, I think I've mentioned the Sermon on the Mount at least once so far. And Jesus said in, that, in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Again, this would have been a crazy statement. We don't think of it like that. We think, oh, yeah, poor in spirit. That makes a lot of sense to us, right? But people would have been thinking, what is this guy talking about? I mean, it's the rich people. It's the, the spiritual rich people who get the blessings of God and inherit eternal life. What is this about the poor in spirit and theirs is going to be the kingdom of heaven? See, that's the way they would think. It would be, it would be kind of definitely uh, something that would turn some people off, right? Remember, the, some of the people said he has a demon. And, and so that's just, one. I say that too because I think today, sometimes there's preachers out there who say something that's maybe controversial or uh, alarming to us, and it might not seem accurate. But sometimes I think preachers are saying things to get our attention, right? To kind of catch us and, and get us to think about something. So, Yes, we have to evaluate everything that a preacher says if we're going to listen to a, a message or read a book or something like that. But also, don't just take it on the surface and reject someone just because you think they said something that doesn't seem right to you. You know, investigate a little bit and check it out. And, and back to this about the reaction here. If those, you know, I mentioned about the poor in spirit because it's usually those who, it's those of us who recognize, whether, whether we have money or not, it's those of us who recognize our spiritual poverty, right? That our need for God and our, ability, our inability to earn our salvation who come to Christ and receive, receive him as Savior, right? That's why he says you have to come to him like a little child because the little child really doesn't have much to offer, right? They don't have money, they don't have power, they don't have anything, and they just come to God and ask, and that's what God wants us to do, just come to him and ask for salvation because, because we see our need for him. And quite often it's the rich person, as I said before, who doesn't see that need because they're content with their wealth, they're trusting in the uncertainty of riches, as Jesus said in one of the Gospels here. Um, so really Jesus is teaching a two-fold lesson to the, to the people here, to the rich young ruler, and also, I'm assuming, you know, the disciples are kind of there, right? And then not only the, the inner 12, but, you know, the rest of the disciples and followers, they're probably all watching this thing. This is the way I imagine it. And um, so he's giving them a two-fold lesson to say that it's not the rich who are blessed by God and, and the poor are not. That's not the way it goes. And also, salvation is not earned by doing good works, but by faith in, in him. Now, going to the next sec section here uh, that I read, 27 through 30, Peter kind of takes the whole thing in a different direction. and Not a totally different direction, but in a slightly different direction. He kind of pivots, I guess is the word. Um, he says, well, he responds and says, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Right? So it's not really what Jesus was talking about, but I can see how Peter's thinking, well, you, you just told this rich man, young ruler to sell all his possessions, give everything up, and come follow you, and he didn't do it. So he's not going to obviously inherit eternal life. So what do we get for all, for all of our efforts? Which, you know, it's always Peter, right, who blurts out that kind of stuff. I mean, some other people were like, Peter, you ask him. You know? <laughs> so, so anyway, Peter um, does ask him, and, you know, 
what about us? We've given up a lot, right? We've given up our jobs, we've given up our homes, uh, we've given money away to people, and how will we be rewarded? And it's not only the 12 disciples, but again, there's that whole crowd of people probably behind them, maybe 100, 100 people, I don't know, 50, 100, a couple hundred people, who maybe have done the same thing that we just don't know as much about them. Um, well, interestingly, Jesus uh, gives them a very nice answer, right? I would be, if I was Peter, I'd be very happy to hear that in the regeneration, that uh, those, it sounds like the inner 12, now we, we know Judas was part of that, and that's another story, but that inner following of Jesus would um, sit on 12 thrones and t- judge the 12 tribes of Israel, which would be quite, quite an honor. So uh, he had to feel good about that, I would bet. Um, and, and also, in addition to that, anyone, right, all those other people behind me who are not part of the 12, you know, they're also going to receive rewards as well. Um, anybody who's given up their family or homes or lands, for my sake, will re- receive a hundredfold, whatever that means, a hundredfold, and, and inherit eternal life. So I think the, the hundredfold has something to do with this life. And inherit eternal life is obviously eternal life, but and it doesn't mean finances, right? It doesn't mean because you've given up all these things, you know, God's going to pay you back in, in money, but it means you're going to receive blessings from God, you're going to be used from God, you're going to bear fruit. I think probably that means something along those lines. Um, and Jesus makes one final interesting comment here um, at the ver- verse 30 where he says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So it makes me think how ironic life is, right? It's just basically what I've been saying here this morning is that Jesus came to kind of flip everything around and the world is not as you see it. It's much different and I'm here to tell you that and that's why some people, again, thought he was not uh, truthful in what he was saying, that he was from the devil. But here, here, and here's just a perfect example, right? Many will be first. Many who are first will be last and the last first. So again, another head scratch. <laughs> what is he talking about? Um, but, you know, we know that the things that make us successful in the world's eyes are not necessarily the things that make us successful in God's eyes. His value system is much different than the world's value system. You think about the rich young ruler, right? He had it all. He was, he was rich in the world's eyes, right? He was rich. He was um, powerful. He ruled something, the synagogue. And uh, he was young, too, which, which helps. And I'm going to throw in there, he had good looks, just for... Just for <laughs> Apparently, he's probably a good-looking guy, because he was young. Um, so when it came to the world system, the rich young ruler was finishing first, but in the end, we see he goes away sad, and if, hopefully that changed, right? We don't know the whole story, but hopefully that changed. But if it didn't, if it end, the story ends like this for him, he will be last in the, in the end. And what, so what does it mean to be last in the end? What does that actually mean? Well, it doesn't really explain it totally here, but I would think that it means being... Cast out, right? Cast out where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. First would mean entering into heaven and being with the Lord, right? Well, there's also rewards for Christians. Jesus touched on that a little bit here about people who gave things up will get rewarded and the 12 inner disciples will sit on 12 thrones. So there's also rewards for Christians. So being first and last may have some reference to that. The Christian life is spoken of as a race, and a race that, that, you know, where you get rewards for the end, of, you should try to finish first, and that wasn't talking about salvation, it's talking about, you know, doing things to serve the Lord, and so we know that the Christians are going to be rewarded, and some will finish ahead of others, it's just the way the Bible describes it. Um, 
But anyway, but, but keep in mind, so that, that's, um, keep in mind about this statement about many who will be first, or many who are first will be last, and the last first is a general statement, right? It's, it's not, it's, it's a general statement, we have to understand it that way. It does not mean that being last on earth is a way to earn your salvation, because you could look at it that way, as I think maybe that many have over the years, right? If you think about people who kind of lock themselves away in monasteries and live, take vows of poverty, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't want to judge them and say that's all wrong and all that, so I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's not a way to earn your salvation. It's not a, it's, you can't look at this verse and say, well, okay, the, the last will be first, so I'm going to try to be as poor as I can and live a destitute life because then I'll be first in heaven. Right? It, does, it just doesn't work that way. That's not what Jesus meant. There's, there's no automatic role reversal where the, the poor people are going to go to the top of the list and the rich people go to the bottom of the list. Earthly rank does not automatically translate into an inverse heavenly rank. So based on what you've heard today, I'm going to wrap it up here. I see I got my little clock right here now that I'm using this computer. Can't see that clock. Um, so you might be asking yourself, is it a sin to be rich? Right? Is it a sin to be rich? Well, the short answer is no. It's not a sin to be rich. But there is a lot of instruction in the Bible and warnings about, about riches. So we should be aware of that. And I'm not going to read a lot about that. This is not the total purpose of this message, but I thought you know, it's something I should touch on, and because we were talking so much about this today. But if you want to read about riches uh, and the biblical attitude towards riches, read 1 Timothy chapter 6. There's a lot about it there. Where it te- and I'll just touch on a few things. It does teach those who are rich in this world, uh, commands them not to be haughty, not to be prideful, Right? Not to trust in the uncertainty of riches, but to trust in God. And to be rich, I mean, I'm sorry, and to be ready, the rich should be ready to give and willing to share, right? So to help those who are in need. And I'm, I'm reminded that um, from the book of Acts, when Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders for the last time, and he would see them, see them no more, and he gave them a kind of a list of things that they should do, or should not do, and one of the things he told them that they should do is that they should work hard to, to provide, to be, enabled, to be able to help the poor people, help people who have need. So, so, we, so we should be willing to work hard, ready to work hard, all of us, and to not only to take care of ourselves and our families, right? Because remember, there's also that passage in, this, in the Bible that talks about um, someone who doesn't take care of their own family or their own you know, elderly or whatever are worse than infidels. So... Obviously, to do that, you have to work and, and make money so you can take care of yourself, take care of your family, and take care of others who have needs to re- be ready to give to, and be willing to share, but not to trust in the uncertainty of those riches where could be here today and gone tomorrow. Don't base our, our life and our happiness on that. Um, in the Bible, in here, again, in 1 Timothy, it also teaches us to be content with what we, what we have, as you know, the Bible says that we should be content if we just had food and clothing. Now, that's a real challenge for us because you know we live in a very, you know we do live in a wealthy society. Uh, there's a lot of wealth here compared to the rest of the world, compared to the rest of time going back. And um, there's a lot of things out there that we can have that are fun to have or whatever. And to be content with only food and clothing is a challenge for us. And but it's something the Bible says we should do and, and can do. And it says. Uh, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So if we can be godly people 
and be content with, with the basic things of life, it's great gain, gain. Not talking about a financial gain, we're talking about spiritual gain, a life gain, a blessing, you know, having peace. Um, and the Bible also does warn us, too, that those who desire to be rich, right, if you're not rich and your desire is, is to be rich, not to say you shouldn't work hard and, and study and, and get a trade or whatever you do, but, but if you desire to be rich, you can also fall into a temptation and a snare, which uh, leads men to many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown us in, can drown men in, into destruction and perdition. Well, that sounds pretty bad, right? So don't go there. Um, so anyway, uh, the Bible also says, for the, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, uh, which caused, have caused some to stray from the faith. So a warning about rich. Yes, it's okay to be rich, but there's also warnings in the Bible about that. Let's pray. Thank you for, for listening this morning. Our Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful that we can be together on this Sunday morning, remembering our Lord and, and singing together and worshiping and, and hearing from your word, Lord. We, we, we pray that you'll bless our time together. And if anyone who is here today, Lord, who is not sure of their salvation or they're not saved, Lord, we pray that that person would come to know you soon, that they would seek you and find you when they search for you with all their heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.